Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Indeed, today is the day. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's time to rise and shine. Actually, if you're listening to us via the podcast later, then it may be good evening, good evening, good evening. It's time to, I don't know, get ready for bed. Um, Greetings to each and every one of you. Hey, congratulations to those of you uh, who are in our listening area who are down at the Mayo Clinic. You have earned top marks in hospital rankings. Number one in the country. I don't know. Do they get like a blue ribbon? Do they get some sort of prize other than us just... Uh, being very grateful for all that God has done um, at the Mayo Clinic and all that he continues to do. Uh, The U.S. News and World Report evaluated more than 4,500 hospitals across the country. And overall, the Mayo Clinic placed first on this year's honor roll. So you can uh, check out that whole list, I'm sure, at uh, U.S. News and World Report. Um, Other things that are topping my mind this morning. So uh, Matthew, who is my 13-year-old stepson and lives with us full time. Uh, he has surgery this morning, so appreciate prayers. Uh, he has what's called Apert's syndrome, which is a chromosomal deal. And periodically, we have to have uh, surgeries, facial cranial surgeries to deal with symptoms related to Apert's. And so uh, this morning is one of those. And so prayers for Matthew, prayers for his surgeon, Dr. Kelly, and for those of us in the constellation of care. That's the way I will describe it. Uh, and appreciate uh, appreciate your prayers for our family this morning. I know that, you know, just most of us, most of us, uh, either in our own life or in the life of a person whom about whom we deeply care and love, there are physical pains and medical illnesses and things that we just live with. And for us, they become the rhythm of life. And for other people, they sound, wow, really like shocking and astounding. And how could Carmen be working today? And doing this when um, when she has this other thing going on. I think this is the reality of living as Christians in a fallen world. Uh, we have to get up every day and do what is in front of us to do, um, do the works, the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do, relying on him, tending to the needs that are our primary responsibility. Um, and and sometimes we do it on little rest, and sometimes we do it with, um, you know, a measure of uh, of enthusiasm that is unmatched. And sometimes we do it in what I would just call like the waning weariness of walking by faith in the midst of sometimes what feel like ruts. And so don't let whatever the rhythms have become in your life or your family, don't let them become like ruts. They are rhythms, and they are patterns that we um, that we walk in and we have to repeat. And some of it is just a part of the reality of living in fallenness, living in the reality that when Adam and Eve made the choice that they made to depart from the will of God to sin, all creation fell. And now all creation groans with eager longing for man's redemption. And so we live with disease and heartbreak and fatigue and uh, wearisome work and, and those kinds of things. So let me just encourage you today that you do not walk alone that you walk not only by faith uh, with our Lord and Shepherd Jesus Christ, but with the rest of us who get up in the morning and put one foot in front of the other, 
um, even though we are living in the midst of fallenness and brokenness and um, and the rhythms of life that are sometimes very, very difficult. So let me just uh, thank you in advance for your prayers for our family, particularly today for Matthew, that God would uh, do a healing work in his body and uh, in the hands of a surgeon whose name is Dr. Kelly at Vanderbilt Children's Hospital here in Nashville. And let's lift up prayers for everybody that's working to bring people to health. Like, right, that is that is just layers and layers and layers of our listening audience um, so if you have any role and responsibility in the health care of, uh, of our listeners and our neighbors and our friends and our loved ones, we're praying for you today. I'm praying for every single one of you at every layer of, uh, of, of health care in America, even as we talk about it, you know, as a country and how we're going to all do better, live more healthy and then pay for uh, those things that we need. All right. Hey, up today, we got a full platter of delicious uh, conversation. Up first is going to be Tommy Binion from The Daily Signal. He and I are, we're going to talk about, um, in a survey of kids, what, what do kids think it means to be an American? That sounds interesting. What do you think it means to be an American? What does it mean to you to be an American? How would you answer that question? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. And I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. Well, it's a long, long journey to the Capitol City. It's All right, welcome long, back. Hey, joining me this morning again is Tommy Binion from The Daily Signal. That I'll is, I want to call it a ministry. It's an outreach. It's an expression. It's an expression. That's the language I'll use. It's an expression of the Heritage Foundation. You can find uh, Heritage at heritage.org. You can uh, find the Daily Signal. Mm-hmm. I, can, I can speak. You can find... Well, pretty much everything that you need to know about what we're talking about today at DailySignal.com. Tommy, I'm a little tongue-tied this morning. Good morning. That's okay. All you have to do is a radio show, so it should be no problem. <laughs> Good morning. It's great to be with you. You are a very eloquent speaker, Carmen. Oh, you are so kind. You are so kind. Um, okay, can let's just start with this really this, – this is a great question. This is actually just a great question for any sort of conversation starter, starter nearly with anybody. What does it mean to be an American? Why am I asking that question this morning? Well, it is a, it is an extremely important question. I think we should all be reflecting on it, but I think you're asking about it because uh, you've seen the uh, recent article on the Daily Signal about the young men who made a video in response to a C-SPAN video contest, and that was the topic. But I do I, I think I, I do want to dwell on the question for just a second because. It is an important one, and, and these are divided times. Um, these are times where we're divided on just about every political question um, and many social, moral, and cultural questions. Um, and so the question is, what unites us? What makes us all the same? Um, what is it that we share? What is it that we have in common? Um, and, and, and that would answer what it means to be an American. The boys who made the video was a high school contest. They're from uh, McKinney, Texas. And their answer was that in America we hold our government accountable. And I just think that's so cool that they that they surveyed all of the different answers that they could have given. Um, and they came up with the thing that is uniquely American, the thing that connects us from the time of our founding to now, is that uh, we have access to our government. And we have accountability tools to our government, and that our government, because of that, reflects us. 
Um, we are not ruled by uh, dictators or uh, despots or, or anything like that. We have a government that is accountable to us, and that is how we ensure that it is a government for the people. Um, it's a great video. I think the website is um, studentcam.org, but you can navigate to it from the Daily Signal, um, and it is great. So if you go to dailysignal.com, um, this is it's really this is actually really encouraging. So these high school students, they uh, you know they competed against 3,600 other high school students across the country. So here's how this works: C-SPAN, um, uh, you know, puts out this appeal, this and these documentary submissions from other. Oh, sorry, uh, 3,000 documentary submissions from over 6,300 students from all over the country. So first of all, I got to tell you, Tommy. I'm thrilled that there are 6,300 students out there across the country who know about C-SPAN and know how to make a documentary film and took the time to answer the question, what does it mean to be an American? Like that, let's just start there and say, okay, um, this this next generation is got at least 6,300 people who know what C-SPAN is. <laughs> and I guess, like, that's exciting to me. I mean, that seems like a it's silly thing to get it- it seems like a silly thing to be excited about, but I am. And then I love the approach that these two young men took. So we're talking about Eli and Mason. And in answer to the question, they basically said, look, we feel like everybody is going to give an answer that's related to the Constitution or the Bill of Rights, these founding documents, uh, the ideals of the founding fathers. Like, you know, all of that stuff is important, but we wanted to take it in a direction that existed from then and exists until now. So they were looking for, like, what's the enduring value that makes us American. And I genuinely appreciate that what they came up with was exactly what you have you know, illuminated, um, that we have a government that is us, that it's ultimately us. And when we talk about accountability, we're actually talking about personal responsibility. That's that is a pretty um, clear that is pretty clear thinking for high school students. I think that's absolutely right. And it and it's something that um we we can often forget um and you know we we sometimes think of our government as being this thing in a faraway land in washington and it's uh it's corrupt maybe or disappointing at the very best um but the truth is we have access to it um local government affects us the most uh, it affects our schools and the decisions about our cities and towns um and those folks may live in our neighborhood or on our block and we have access to the government that has um, an effect on our lives, um, and and they are accountable to us. That is that is uniquely American, and it's something that if uh, if we don't engage in, uh, then we're taking it for granted, and we shouldn't be doing that. All right, uh, Tommy Binion and I are going to continue our conversation in just a minute. It is debate week among the Democrats, and so um, I'm going to ask him a couple of questions. About, you know, I don't know, his expectations of the debates uh, over the next couple of days. Um, And uh, I don't know, we might get to some other stuff as well. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right. Welcome back. Tommy Binion is with me from The Daily Signal. You can uh, follow him on Twitter at TP Binion. You can certainly um, connect with him on LinkedIn. He's Thomas Binion. Do you like Do you like Tommy or Thomas or TP? Oh no! I, I feel like that, calling that's you TP. A question that has that has plagued me my whole life. My dad's Tom. <laughs> I was Thomas, and now I'm Tommy, and it's kind of a free for all at this point. I like that. I appreciate that. That 
leaves more room. That leaves more room for people like me to just wander around. I appreciate that. So uh, th- <laughs> Thomas is with me today. No, see, I'm just going to have to go with Tommy. Okay, so um, we got some Democratic debates happening this week. Some some things have changed since the last time the Dems took to the stage. Uh, there are still, I don't know, some 20, 20 – are there going to be 20 who are debating this time around? Still on two nights 20. and they're in Detroit? 20 over two 20. nights. Tonight is 10 and tomorrow night is 10. But um, – just because of the way, you know, the luck of the draw, I guess, uh, tonight really pits um, Elizabeth Warren against Bernie Sanders. That's the matchup that everybody is looking at uh, for obvious reasons because they're both socialists. And then the headlining matchup tomorrow night is Kamala Harris and Joe Biden because they sort of squared off in the first debate. So though there are 20 candidates, I think most people watching these debates will be centered on those two matchups, and if I'm not mistaken, they'll be placed standing next to each other on each night. Right in the middle of the stage, because everyone else will just be trying to get the camera to come their way and get get some uh, make some sort of splash, because those are the four who I would say have not only the most name recognition, but who are putting forward the most substantive ideas in terms of uh, things that Americans are interested in. So uh, let me just ask this. If if we if we all seem to know at this point that uh, it doesn't really matter if you talk red or blue here, uh, Americans' chief concerns are health care and immigration. Like it just it just seems to top the list for everybody all the time. And yet we see um, both Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders really moving um, really significantly like a hard charge um, as as having this uh, elimination of student debt being the real driver. Do you think that's just because it's so simple to understand, like, and it's so personal? Like, if you have personal student debt or you have a kid who's got personal student debt, um, it's just so easy for you to latch onto and paying it off seems like that would be a nice thing to have happen. Do you think it's the simplicity of it that's really attractive? Yeah, it, it may be. I mean, the simplicity, yes. But I think the second thing you said might be more apt, which is that it, it, the personal relevance, the personal benefit. Um, if you are, you know, if you're sitting on a mountain of student debt, you can draw a straight line between, uh, you know, that person becoming president and the possibility that you may uh, not have to pay off this student debt. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty straightforward. Why there is an attraction there. Um, but there's a big difference between a subset of the population wanting a policy and it being a good idea. Um, well, and it, and, and it being want. something that everybody wants to pay for, right? Because <laughs> ultimately, right. So, ultimately, everybody is going to have to pay for this. That's absolutely right. We're all going to pay for it um, in through increased taxes or increased debt, which means our children are going to have to pay for it. But what if you've already paid off your student loans? How do you feel about it then? What if what if just this week you stroke that last check and you're feeling very good about yourself for having paid off your student loans, um, and now there is a charge for student loans to be forgiven by the federal government? It is simple, and it does benefit a few, but I do think it's a divisive policy. Any policy which benefits a few of us but not all of us I think is fundamentally flawed. Um and student loan forgiveness is absolutely one of those policies with a fundamental flaw. In the end, 
I think it will be divisive. It may be a good way to get ahead in the Democratic primary, but it is not a good way to govern. Well, and, and Tommy, certainly there are lots of things that we all agree to do together because it's the right thing to do for the least, right? There, there, I mean, there are definitely things that we would say, hey, there's some stuff that we're doing that is of benefit to, um, you know, one particular group of people. But we recognize that that's a benefit to all of us in some way. Like, right, that's that's pretty much like how we make decisions in terms of how we're going to use our tax dollars at any time and place. Um, and so I think that when what you're talking about is there's this difference between those things that we all agree to pay for because people uh, have tragedies or they have um, disabilities or, you know, they have an inability that's really not their fault. Um, student debt is something that you took on, you know, with of your own free will. And it's something that you you went into wide eyed. It's not like medical debt that you might um, that you might incur because of an accident um, or because of some kind of absolutely unexpected illness. Like I I get the differentiation. But as soon as you and I start down the path of differentiating at this level, we have moved past the very simple um, mantra that I believe will become a part of this conversation in the 2020 campaign cycle. It's it's almost like the simplicity of build the wall or build that wall. That simplicity of that message is so powerful. The simplicity of this message is so powerful. Immigration is an intensely complicated issue and really, and you and I both know, really divisive. Um, but but build that wall is a pretty effective campaign um, conversation. Likewise, I think on the Democratic side, there are there will be some very simplistic statements made that can be reduced down to campaign slogans. And because we as Americans have become, you know, frankly, so uh, divided in our in our minds and and uninterested in delving deeply into into conversations and into subject matter, we just go with, oh, well, that'd be nice. Just, you know, pay off my debt, pay off my student debt. That sounds nice. Let's just let's yes, let's let's do that. I, I think you're absolutely right. And I just the, the, go back to the earlier part of the conversation. What you were referring to, uh, the things that we decide as a, as a nation to pay for uh, that only benefit those among us, that's, that's referred to as the safety net. And like you pointed out, uh, if you take on a massive amount of debt and then decide not to pay it back, and, and that's, not a, that's not a safety net thing. That's, that's just we're just going to cover your debt. Um, but more than that, um, what the simplicity often covers up um, a complication or a, a negative unforeseen consequence, and that's the case with paying off student debt. Uh, the, the biggest thing that's happening in higher ed outside of student debt is rising tuition costs. And if you mm. are a parent of a, of a teenager about to go to college, you know that all too well. College is unbelievably expensive. One of the biggest drivers of rising tuition costs is federal intervention. So if we go down the road of paying off student debt, college tuition is going to continue to go up, and then it will be even more expensive for the next generation. So we have got to be wary, I think, of these simple campaign promises. But you're right. They're attractive. They're seductive, um, and they will win votes. 
So we've got this is a listener, uh, high listener engagement on this topic. And, man, they are all over the place uh, in terms of their feedback. So, Tommy, this might be something we we have to return to. Thank you so much, as always, for being with us today. Student debt, obviously going to be uh, a conversation in tonight's Democratic debate and obviously a conversation among our listeners here on Mornings with Carmen. If you want to text in your thoughts, you can do so at 877-933-2484. Tommy Binion, thank you so much. So uh, who in your family is struggling physically or medically? Like that's, uh, you know, it's on top of my mind and heart today uh, because I obviously have a member of my family who is having surgery later this morning. I also have my uncle Jim, who right now is riding in a medical transport back from Georgia to Indiana, um, following what he thought was like a two-day trip at the 4th of July. (laughs) I don't know if you know this, but it's like that was like a month ago. Um, so he had a little accident. He's 86 while well, he was visiting with my mom. And uh, and so he's just now getting to go home and he's doing so in a medical transport. And now he's going to have like, you know, months of rehab. Uh, and then I've got Matthew on the other end uh, who is having surgery today. And that will be a part of our you know family situation going forward in the next several weeks as well. And so who who is that in your life? Um, and and how much of your mental energy is is really with them? And with what's happening in their life. Uh, And I think that when we try to be single-minded as Christians, we have to recognize that um, part of who we are as human beings is that we are knit into one another's lives in such a way that, man, the, the concerns of other people become our concerns. And it influences everything about our day and what we're doing. So I'm going to talk next with Dr. Rosemary Stein. You know her. She is a pediatrician. She comes uh, and visits with us from time to time. And we're going to actually talk about, like, amazing kids with rare conditions. And how do we engage with them and with their families? So, you know, it's a totally selfish conversation this morning for me. Dr. Rosemary Stein's up next. So frequently you guys ask, um, how can I share the show with somebody else? Well, all you have to do is go to MyFaithRadio.com and... There's a there's a little tab that says podcast, and if you click on that and you scroll down, you'll find Mornings with Carmen, or you can go to MyFaithRadio.com, and you can find the Mornings with Carmen page, and then you can click on the podcast. Like, we try to make it super simple and easy. For those of you who have asked, hey, where do I find, like, the links that you talk about during the show, um, I repost the podcast from My Faith Radio on my website, which is ReconnectWithCarmen.com, and... There, I post also the links of the stories that we talk about. And so if you wanted the link to this story that um, Dr. Rose and I are going to talk about, about this young man in Spain who built his own prosthetic arm using Legos, it's robotic, super cool, um, that'll be posted later today along with the podcast at reconnectwithcarmen.com. So all kinds of ways to get it and share it with others. We'll be right back. I love a good story, like the bedtime stories I tell my kids, or the page-turner novel that keeps me awake at night. And of course, epic Bible stories never get old. Hi, this is Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you be wise and thrive. Each of us have a life story, too. With every breath God gives us, from our first to our last on this earth, we write words for our story. What's yours? A comedy? A drama? A romance? Maybe a little of all three. The backdrop to your story is your purpose, your faith, 
the values and beliefs you hold dear, and the plot is how you're living them. So what about when it comes to money? Are you managing your finances in a way that enhances your story? If you see any gaps, now's the time to edit your story so your actions match your beliefs. When money is used as a tool to live out your faith, your life story will be more content, confident, and generous. Joining me again today, Dr. Rosemary Stein. You can find her on Facebook, Rosemary Stein, MD. Dr. Rose, welcome back. It's nice to be here, Ms. Carmen. So it's great to have you on. Uh, my subject matter that we're leading off with today is almost purely uh, selfish on my part. One of the things that I don't know that you and I have ever discussed is that I have a stepson who lives with us full time. He's 13 and he has Apert's syndrome. And so we, from time to time, um, have very uh, intrusive facial cranial surgeries and you know, we're nearing nearing the end of that rhythm because at some point his head will get as big as it's ever going to get. I hope we are nearly there. Um, and uh, and then we won't have to do that anymore. But as a family, obviously, we we live with the response of the world to um, to a member of our family who is just observably very different from everybody else. And um, I'm not even sure we like the term special needs because I think every child has special needs. I think every single one of us has special needs. But, you know, when you when you just look at Matthew, you know, it's really obvious. And so I thought I would lift up this story today about this really extraordinary kid in Spain whose name is David, who, you know, he's lived his entire life with a very observable difference. He was born, um, you know, partially without a right arm. We actually have a friend in our family whose name is Hal, who has this exact same condition. And so um, I was struck by David and his ingenuity and his, you know, he's built these robotic arms out of Legos, which I just think is extraordinary. But it gives us a jumping off point for just talking about extraordinary kids who have conditions um, that they're born with and maybe how we can just help people be human in response to families who have kids who have these very distinct differences. You know, when when uh, you you were talking about David, and I was seeing the clip about his, how he is able to use a keyboard uh, with his uh, deformed arm, and, and he can type quite quickly. I was thinking about yesterday. I had a young lady. Her name is Valeria, and she came in, and she has a club foot. And for those of you that don't know, club foot it's a very deformed foot. It doesn't function as a foot itself. It's more like a little stick with teeny weeny little toes that stick out of it. And when her mom saw her when she was born, she was aghast that, you know, that 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 her her daughter had this foot. They sort of saw it by ultrasound, but now it was confirmed. This child is now 10 and she's just an absolute treasure. She is so precious. She smiles so much. But the the real story is her athleticism. She can run faster. She can jump higher and you know that this girl has an amazing potential. Uh, I've sent her to PT to be able to fit her foot so that she can can uh, sort of push off of her, her uh, leg a little bit better. Because I know that if we just give her that extra push, she will be m- much faster, much quicker, uh, and much stronger than other kids will. And that's with a club foot. 
And so you never know what that weakness will lead to in, in, in their potential. And sometimes what we see as the bad thing is actually their blessing in disguise. And so remember that, parents, when, when we see our children and they have a weak point, whether it's big and visible or small and almost imperceptible, that weak point can be made into their, their strength because they, they, they must um, learn to be able to take the world's challenges. And Valeria and David have learned to take what's been given to them as a weakness and turn it into their strength. So when you, you know, when you just talk with, I guess I'm wondering, people who have, you know, quote unquote, normal kids. And one of the things I appreciate about what David has written about his own experience is, you know, what does normal mean anyway? I mean, this is normal for him that he does not have a have a physical right arm. Um, so I'm wondering, do people whose kids are normal, do they ever ask, like, how... Um, how should we be engaging? How can we do better? Is it, are these even questions that people with quote unquote normal kids are asking about their engagement with uh, families whose children are observably different? Well, I don't think it comes up that much because to a child, if he were he or she were to see that their first their first thought would be ooh. Uh, and th- then you'd realize, oh my goodness, I, you know my kid was really rude. And so I think it's up to us as parents to say, you know, some kids are going to be different. And you might sit next to a child that doesn't have uh, an arm or doesn't have a foot. And you might be startled at the way it looks. But you know what? Inside, this kid is made up of the same stuff that you're made up. And then they don't feel any differently. And if you were to say something like, ooh, when you see them, they would feel very hurt. Just like you would feel hurt if they knew that you had X, Y, and Z. And I think that's the real conversation to be had, that we're all human beings and we all hurt inside sometimes, but that it's really we should be focusing on on the good stuff of each one. I, I don't think that as parents we address that there are kids that are different and, and that we should accept those differences but also love, you know, the, the core of the, the, the child. Right. So I think that, you know, I just wanted to, surface this issue and this concern and lift it up and and just encourage people um to to not only think about our own you know deformities whatever they are because we all have some like i don't know does anybody stand like naked in front of a mirror and say oh everything there is perfect i mean i I don't know i think we're all fallen (laughs) and we all have imperfections that we all recognize and acknowledge um but there are some people who are living with physical differences that are observable all the time, everywhere, by everyone. And I just wanted to surface that this morning. We live in such a visual culture. We live in such a, you know Instagrammable culture. Um, and I, I just recognize that there are these extraordinary young people out there, like David, in Spain, um, who, who have not only sort of taken all of the great things about childhood. I mean, the fact that he built, that he built these um, prosthetics out of Legos is also really extraordinary to me. And his passion now is to take that and uh, and develop really economically accessible uh, prosthetics for for people who need them. And I just you know so there are these 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 extraordinary people out there. And I just wanted to lift that up today. And and I don't know have people be slightly more compassionate uh, toward families who have kids with observable differences. So uh, Dr. Rose and I are going to continue our conversation in just a minute. She is going to address the issue that we all sit too much. 
And I don't know about you, but uh, I fall into this category. I sit into this category of people who sit too much. And so I'm inviting Dr. Rose to get me moving. If you need a little help get moving, stay with us. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So when you were in grade school, do you remember those like physical activity guidelines? <clears throat> we are, you know, not not just we were supposed to go out and have recess, but during recess we were actually supposed to do physical things. Um, kids now, let me just go ahead and let you know, um, they they do things called esports. Um, esports are something that you do on a screen with your fingers and your hands. And there was actually just a huge esports event, uh, the Fortnite World Championship. Where, you know, a kid took home a $3 million prize. Other kids took home more than million-dollar prizes. And these are teenagers. And so, and now there are esports, um, not only leagues, but there are esports. Uh, you can go to college and you can actually be an esport athlete. Now, when we use that language and we use the term athlete, we tend to think of physical movement. That is actually just not even the language in very sedentary America anymore. So I thought it was time to circle back with Dr. Rose on the subject of getting us moving. And we have a new uh, a new report out from, well, it's listed in the uh, Journal for American Medicine, right, JAMA? Um, and so that was really my jumping off point in terms of a headline. So Dr. Rose, get us moving. Oh, boy. And with... The the point is, I think that we're sitting in front of the TV, in front of the screen, in front of our phones, in front of the tablets, way too much. And that's occupying our minds and our bodies. And so as I look at the number of minutes that they're they're designing or they're saying that are adequate, it's 150 minutes a week. I mean, wow, mm. that's like, what, 20 minutes a day. Um, and that's really not enough for a child uh, to be moving around or to get proficient at anything. Uh, but that's that that was the guideline that they used. And they still found that uh, that in this day that we're just not our children are not meeting those guidelines uh, of a uh, somewhat vigorous activity for that amount of time. Uh, so it said uh, 150 minutes a week of moderate intensity or 75 minutes a week of vigorous intensity. And so our, our children and our adults, because the, the, the children follow the adults in, in, in what they do, uh, we're not meeting these guidelines. So what do we do? I think as parents, we just have to, once again, we have to learn to disconnect and learn to, to, Take a pause and say, okay, so what's important? Okay, put on your sneakers. Let's go outside. Let's go for a walk. Let's go for a run. Uh, let's go walk the dog. Start with that at least so that you get them going and, and, and you get them interested in what's outside of their world. Because there's a lot more than the activity that, I'm ta- that you're talking about. It's the exposure. If they're in front of the screen all the time, that's what they're exposed to. That's what they're about. That's where their love is. That's where they're engaged. If you take them outside into the world and you're walking around, oh, yeah, it's boring. It's hot. But at the same time, they're looking at the trees. They're looking at God's nature. They're talking with you. You're building a different relationship. You're building a different child. So I would say just start with the simple. Get them to put their sneakers on. Go outside. After dinner, make sure that you're talking to them and you're having those conversations by going outside and moving your legs and and saying how much you love nature. Start with the simple, and then you can work towards the more complicated. So putting on your sneakers, uh, I mean, the reality is that once we put on our tennis shoes, um, somehow, you know, just sitting there with my tennis shoes on, like, 
provokes me to want to get up and not just sit there with my tennis shoes on, right? And we happen to live, you know, right? We happen to live way out in the country and we have an endless number of opportunities outside. And so it's, um, I will admit that remembering what it's like to live in the context of a concrete jungle um, and, and some of the challenges related to even finding green space, let alone feeling like your kids are safe outside. Um, and so you and I would both acknowledge and recognize that although doing all of these things outside might be ideal, getting up and moving around, even if you're playing hide and seek in your own apartment or your own house, or even if you are, you know, building a pillow fort and I mean, you know, jumping on the bed is a bad idea in some cases, but jumping on the bed might be the trampoline you need. And so it's in terms of physical activity. And so let's get, let's get moving um, is is really what you and I are talking about today. Um, and so, Dr. Rose, let's talk about the what happens when we become sedentary. What happens in our bodies when we do not literally exercise them? Well, there's no circulation and, and everything breaks down. I mean, it's just so simple that it's, um, it's bad. <laughs> but... No circulation means uh, no muscle movement means very little circulation. It 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 leads to a lot of problems, but especially with children because children really need that circulation to be able to get their organs to grow properly. So things mm. don't grow properly, and their brains won't grow properly if it's not circulating. That's one of the the sine qua non of kids is that they they need that extra movement no matter what. Uh, and so that that defines the, the the age of the child is that they they need that movement, but our children are not moving enough. Even when they're thin, they're not moving. They're not they're they're not active. They're not engaged. All right, I think that um, our connection, our Skype connection with Dr. Rose, um, I think in fact that little oh there she is. Okay, uh, Dr. Rose, we lost you there for a few seconds, but we've got you back now. I know that that. Jeff in Duluth is now going to think we had another sunspot. No, we actually had a Skype spot. So, um, so, so let's just circle back and uh, and do the last thirty seconds again. Again, the importance of movement um, because it increases circulation, and circulation is important for organ growth. And one of the primary organs is the brain. Is the brain an organ? Am I using the right word there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. the The brain would be the Probably the I most was really bad. Organ I was really bad heart. in science. Can you tell that in science I was really like not a good student? <laughs> Mr. Set, like the only science teacher that I ever remember all along was in seventh grade. His name was Mr. Setacassi, and I'm not sure that we did anatomy and physiology. I feel like if we had, I would know more. Instead, I know a lot about plate tectonics because that was apparently what we learned that year, and I found him fascinating. So there you go. I, so I'm I'm I come to these conversations with you really having missed whatever I was supposed to learn in school about all of this. Well, and, and uh, the, the brain is the, the focal point in the child. What you really want to enhance is that, that uh, brain circulation, the, the O2 to the brain. And to get that to, do op, to, to work optimally, kids need to move. So let's make sure that we're enhancing the things in our environment so the children are moving and they are circulating and they're getting that good oxygen to their brain. I love that. Dr. Rose, thank you so much. It's always a great encouragement, and I feel like um, I needed a pediatrician like you when I was growing up. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You guys can find Dr. Rose um, on Facebook, Rosemary Stein, MD. 
uh, and we talk to her from time to time. If you have specific questions that you'd like for me to address with her, you should let me know. You should text me at 877-933-2484 or email me, Carmen, at MyFaithRadio.com. We'll be right back. So what's your why? This is a good this is a good question to ask yourself today. What's my why? Why um, are you doing what you're doing today and why are you doing it in the way that you're doing it? What's your why? Um, and it could be that that you have a who who is your why? Like your why could be a who. Um, and in in Jesus's case, why is you? Jesus's why is you. So your why might be a who. My why happens to be Jesus. Like I, that is just a short answer for me to the question, what's your why? My short answer is my why is Jesus. And that might sound like, you know, one of those like ugh, Bible smackdown answers, but it is actually my answer. And so um, <clears throat> my why is Jesus. But I want to turn it around and ask this, you know, when you think about Jesus, what's Jesus's why? Why did Jesus leave the glory of heaven Um in order to condescend to human reality, in order to take upon himself uh, the sins of the world, your sins, my sins, the reality of sin itself, why did he, you know, why did he endure the wrath of God poured out uh, on the cross? Why? Jesus's why is you. And so today, if you're feeling small or insignificant or irrelevant, uh, don't, because Jesus's why is you. Uh, And so today, as you are walking your faith out into the world that God so loves, let Jesus be your why, because Jesus's why is you. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.